0: How do you drive innovation and challenge the status quo? Welcome to the Immersed Catalyst series in partnership with Lloyds Bank. I'm your host, Izzy O'Beng, CEO of Foundervine. And in this four-part series, we will be bringing you incredible founders who are defying the odds and shaping their industries in different ways. We'll be talking about the highs, the lows, the challenges, and that thing that keeps them driving forward. This week's guest is Sace Holmes-Lewis, the founder and CEO of Mentivity. Mentivity is an incredible mentoring platform that helps young people thrive in education and beyond. So I am really pleased to be joined by Sace Holmes-Lewis. You are the CEO and founder of Mentivity, an incredible platform that has been doing such amazing work supporting young people through mentoring to uh, progress in education and beyond. You do fantastic work, but I don't know if many people know as much about your story and what led you to Mentivity um, as I think they should. So what's your story?
1: Where do we start? Um, we got to start where it all started. It was for your state.
0: South London.
1: South London, yeah. South East London. Uh, <laughs> a very uh, unique area. I love South London. Um, I love London in general, but... Ellsbury Estate, where I grew up, was a very unique area because it was uh, located in between Peckham, Campbell, and Elephant and Castle. So we were kind of like n- no man's land to some degree because most people identified with Peckham, Campbell, Elephant and Castle, but it was like Old Kent Road. You know, who's from there? Mm-hmm. But it was a very unique estate, Um, very uh, mixed cultured estate, um, very, very diverse. And I learned a lot living on the Ellsbury Estate. Um, very very powerful area but it really is part of my identity um, in terms of who I am and if I could choose to grow up on the estate again I would definitely be there again because it taught me how to to be prepared for life be resilient and how to work with people uh, from other backgrounds but also a true sense of community um, and that was an extension of my family unit my mum was all about community and family and that was reflective in on the elsewhere estate so it's a very unique area and it shaped me in so many great ways
0: that's it's unusual i think to hear people saying that they would go back to live on the estate they grew up in particularly where um like a lot of estates in london there are challenges around kind of violence and that kind of thing um but you, you feel like your, um, your upbringing has really kind of shaped who you are in so many ways. And I know education was a big part of your household and you had a lot of strong role models in your life who guided you in different ways. Yeah. At the same time, you didn't necessarily see yourself reflected in the education system. And you've mm-hmm. talked about what it was like to not feel like the education system was made for someone like you. Mm-hmm that was actively rejecting you yeah and you even dropped out of college twice so talk to me about what education was like for you
1: my first memories of education was in the home you know my mom was a teacher long before she qualified as a teacher and education has been very paramount uh, to her existence but also I come from a family of educators Mm. my mom's been a teacher for nearly 15 years now Um, she took her degree um, after having the last of the seven children. So I'm the oldest of seven. And when she qualified as a teacher, it was inspirational for me. But also, as I said, I come from a family of educators. Auntie was a senior lecturer at Canterbury Christchurch, cousin, senior lecturer. Many in my family worked in education. And um, I loved education because it was fun in the home. Um, But when I went to school, it was totally different. Um, It was totally different from my culture and what I've been taught about my history. So learning about history, I was intrigued about it, but it wasn't reflective of who I was. So quite quickly within education, I started to question myself and my place in the world. And that was a question that was never answered for me um, in my childhood. And I was rejected in education in the sense that because I found the work too easy and it wasn't stimulating, I just became mischievous and I wasn't really challenged within education. And not many teachers took the time out to understand me and understand my, my cultural kind of background and what I was struggling with in terms of school um, but yeah I was rejected really in education first and foremost and then I went to secondary school and it was just like what is this <laughs> and I went to Kingsdale School in South London at that point it's probably one of the worst schools in London uh, we had security guards at school um, and it was a difficult environment but again I would go through it all again because it was reflective of the world around me mm. and the world was rejecting me in every facet of society so I didn't really have a place In society and I was trying to find myself but at the age of eight my dad left the household and that that broke my heart you know when he left the household because I was the oldest and then there was a lot of pressure on me for my younger siblings at the time it was three of us and I was trying to find my way and I didn't have that guidance and support from the the man that I idolized and and loved Um, and it really had a a negative impact on my my well-being my overall well-being and who I was as as a young man and so I really struggled uh, in school uh, because of a number of factors uh, in and around my life but also education I didn't feel accepted so who I did feel accepted by was my peer group and a lot of us didn't have our fathers around and that was you know we had linked trauma Mm -hmm. and that's why we became friends you know we had a trauma bond so um, it was difficult to navigate but I managed to get through school got five GCSEs and in the process met one of my Inspirations, Mr. Devon Hansen, uh, my head of year, who became an executive head teacher for ARC Academies across London.
0: And he uh, was a, a big role model for oh, you growing up, wasn't
1: he? He's amazing. Still a role model to this day, sitting in my life. I was with him last week. Um, you know, it's been 30 years of support and mentorship, um, but yeah, and guidance. So he took time out of his life. You know, he grew up in and around Peckham. He knew what we were going through. So he understood from a different perspective and knew what we needed. So... Hit that support within within school got me to the end of school and allowed me to progress to the next stage
0: always quite focused weren't you you've you've talked about um getting that nickname granddad so <laughs> even, even in the midst of a lot of um challenges and a lot of distractions I think particularly for boys around that age you always had a strong sense of you know who you were and what yeah. you wanted to do and a strong sense of responsibility I think that I I can just see how that's influenced Mentivity and I'd love to hear more about what you actually do at Mentivity and the kinds of young people that you support.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm a person, I'm either all in or I'm out. You know, I don't do things by halves and if I want to do something in my life, everybody will know about it and I will do everything in my my power to make it a reality. And I've always been very determined and very optimistic and I think without optimism you know you can't reach your goals because you're going to get serious knockbacks and I've had lots of knockbacks in my life where a lot of people I've seen around me haven't recovered so that resilience was was really part in part from my environment you know growing up in a council state as I said being rejected in society racism you know from the age of eight and just understanding that I was different and people are going to treat me different because of the color of my skin and my background. So my resilience was building over and over again. But at the time, I felt like it was an ongoing problem and never-ending struggle. But it allowed me to to see the good in in situations that other people wouldn't because I always believe things will work out. And that was something that was instilled in me by my mom because she had to be optimistic. You know, she was a single parent on the council state. That's stereotypical, you know, what people may say but she was unique, you know, and she was optimistic and she always made things happen. So I learned that from her. So she's a massive inspiration behind Mentivity because Mm. education has been paramount in my life, Um, but also being a good person and being part of a community and having a cultural identity. That was something which is important to me. So that support from my mum, Mr. Hanson was instrumental in my, you know, my development. And I wanted to to recreate that for young people. And that's where Mentivity was really born in my mind. And also my other mentors, Abdullah ben Kamal and Mr. Stan Etheridge as well, two of my football coaches. And without them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, you know, working with young people. So they were the people that, you know, really allowed me to create Mentivity and create this, this service for young people uh, to allow them to dream Um, and allow them to to flourish and be optimistic within life so you know Mentivity is a mentoring organization uh, founded in 2016 Uh, became very disillusioned working in the youth sector I nearly left went into in-house recruitment at a a reputable bank but I decided you know what it's not for me my soul doesn't take to it so uh, I was made redundant three months before founding uh, Mentivity and I didn't know what I was wanting to do or what wanted to achieve. I just knew I didn't want to work for anybody else. So um, I did that and got my first contract in February 2016 at a pupil referring unit referring it I worked at in Peckham. And um, what we do is really just one-to-one mentoring, supporting young people, linking their careers to their passions because... When you're passionate about something that motivation is intrinsic and you don't need to be motivated when you have to get up at 5 a.m in the morning to go and train or go to work or go to university so we try to use that passion and use that passion as a vehicle for progression and changing the trajectories of young people
0: so i think on behalf of the community i have to say i'm really glad he didn't get that job um, <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: think, <Me> too. <laughs> I think
0: i think it's worked out yeah so, just a little <laughs> so, Their loss, um our gain um It's really interesting, the model that you've built and, you know, in order to deliver the kind of work you do, you need to get lots of different types of organizations on board, supporting, partnering, collaborating in different ways. You talk about speaking truth to power Mm -hmm. and saying the things that other people don't want to say. Mm -hmm. What does that mean?
1: It means everything to me. I've always been a rebel. I've always been someone that will speak up uh, when I see injustice. I was always someone that was outspoken uh, about certain things that I believed in. Um, sometimes not in the most positive way, but I've learned how to articulate myself better over time, and I've grown within myself and invested a lot of time in myself. But I think it's been really important, you know, just to to progress, you know, continually in life because where I come from, a lot of people don't progress and are left by the wayside. So for me, it's really about just focusing on what I can provide to the community, but also being an advocate for young people and people that don't have a voice because for far too long, I didn't have a voice. I didn't understand what the structures and systems in place around me and how they were oppressing me and how they got me to the same critical juncture that so many other black men in South London and beyond were reaching, you know, and I thought it was either prison progression or death for some people and the system was doing what it had to do and we got to the same juncture so I started to realize you're going through the same thing you're going through the same thing lack of opportunity and now that I'm in a a place where I can speak and speak my mind and speak the minds of other people and support their visions and what they're feeling and, and shine light on situations where people are being oppressed or discriminated against by you know whether it's police or different systems I have to speak up you know because I've been blessed to be in this position but without the community i wouldn't be here
0: i completely hear you on that i completely hear you on that and i often think about my journey building founder vine and you know what what really motivated it and often i talk about you know working in the corporate sector and feeling disillusioned mm. and seeing a need yeah. in the community that i could fill but maybe what i talk about a bit less is growing up with two older brothers mm. and watching them navigate what it meant to be young black men growing up where we did um i grew up i grew up in tottenham so not not too <laughs> far from it's the raven <laughs> <top>. <laughs> <laughs> not too far off um and from what it sounds where you grew up and mm. um you know there was a lot of distractions yeah. a lot of opportunities to um use that energy in ways that weren't always helpful um and a lot of young men often get caught up in things that they 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 shouldn't so when you talk about the young men that you support and what they're going through and seeing yourself reflected in them it'd be great to hear some of those real stories of young people you supported can you share any
1: yeah i think to touch on on mark dungan you know the the killing of mark dungan was the catalyst was so much change and I think uh, uh, it raised the, the conscious awareness of so many people in terms of the police and what they've done routinely for years in terms of state-sponsored oppression. Um, my, I myself was assaulted by a police officer at the age of 14, um, just going home from school uh, and that was a very traumatic experience, I was just going home after playing football and a police officer came on the train, told me to get off and didn't tell me why and I was very inquisitive, I was, I knew my rights to some degree. so. With Mentivity, we've supported so many young people, thousands of young people since 2016. Um, but there's one story in particular that stands out. Uh, it's a young man called Raheem Barton that I worked with from the age of eight, long before I founded Mentivity when I was working for Suffolk Council, was a full-time coach. And I was coaching a rugby session and this young man just wasn't listening. And I looked at him, He's was about the age of eight. And I looked at him and I says, you come here, why are you not listening to me? He said, I don't wanna do it, I don't like rugby. I said, so, listen, you're here and you're gonna do the session. In that moment, I saw myself as an eight-year-old when my dad left the household. I saw how vulnerable he was, how angry he was, and that he needed that support. And after time, I realized that he was a Scorpio. I'm a Scorpio. We're both very stubborn, very strong-minded. And I just saw myself in him. And I worked with him extensively uh, for nearly 10 years before he was, unfortunately, shot and killed at the age of 17 um, on the 5th of May. And he was actually with me on the day um that he was killed um he was coaching at my football club city of london fc um that my brother uh, founded and we made a breakthrough on that day because we had sent him to jamaica because he was at risk of of harm and he came back um and within three months of returning from jamaica he was killed and on that day we made a breakthrough we paid him 15 pounds for a 45 minute session he was struggling with his hay fever but he got through it and he put on the best session he ever put on and at the end of the session, he was lying down. It was a hot day in May. And he was on the, on the turf, looking up at the sky. And he said, you know what? Love for that, you guys. And I said, what? He says, love for that. So I love you guys. So I used to tell him all the time. And the first time I told him that, he says to my brother Tyson, is he all right? Like, does he like boys or men or something? Why does he tell me that he loves me? I'm like, because I love my young people in my community. You know, it's important to tell young people that. So when he said that on the day, I realized that it was a breakthrough. And he was like, I just want to live with what you guys are doing. I want to work for creativity. I want to become an architect. I want to realize my dreams." The people on the streets, they don't love me. You know, I don't have a future. So I need to change my life. And we made a breakthrough on that day. And I was like, finally, after nearly 10 years. And the night before, he lived on the Brandon estate. And there were some shots fired on the estate. And we knew what had happened. So we said, look, if you want to go out on, on this day, um, during the day, come out with us because we know what's going on. He said, yeah, yeah, no problem. He went out, didn't tell us. Got a call five hours later, Raheem's been shot and killed. And that broke my heart, you know, because that I saw him as a as a son, someone that I could have saved and supported. And when his life was taken, I felt like I had failed. I felt like society had failed and I was very angry um, that I couldn't save him. And I really struggled with that. And that's what led me to to therapy, you know, because I realised there was a lot of trauma at play uh, within myself, but also in our communities, because young black boys taking the lives of other black boys, I feel that's based on on self-hatred, because they don't actually like themselves, they don't value themselves, and they can easily take the life of someone else that looks just like them, because of how they feel about themselves, Um, and that's reflective of that anger that they have. So... When that happened with Raheem, it just made me more motivated to support more young people and prevent that from happening. But I'll never forget Raheem, you know, because he was such an integral part of not only mentality in, in our formative years, but also just, I realised the magnitude of the issue we have in our communities in terms of violence and lack of opportunity for young people. So yeah, Raheem was a very difficult situation, but it's not all doom and gloom. You have a lot of young people doing great stuff, a uh, young lady called Juliet hated education just like me hated education on the verge of permanent exclusion uh, at her school in south london and she loved football to play football with the boys all day really really good player but she didn't like learning but i said if you want to be a professional football player you've got to learn on the pitch right she said yeah so you've got to be receptive to learning both in education and on the pitch and if you do that you're going to flourish just like i did and fast forward now she's representing brighton women's West Ham ladies, she represented Nigeria under 20s. She hated education so much, but she just enrolled into university at the University of East London. And she's studying sports journalism of all things. So I'm very, very proud of Juliet. And that's where we use the passions of young people to help them navigate and experience success in other areas of their life, because we don't experience success in our communities too often. So it's important that we hyper-focus on that success and allow them to become successful young people.
0: Those are two really powerful stories and thank you for sharing firstly, I think with both Raheem and Juliet's story we see brilliant young people who with the right support, Mm. the right guidance and with the belief that someone genuinely cares about them, you can see what they're capable of. Mm. Can you tell us about the Raising Aspirations project?
1: Oh, gosh, that came out of COVID, the first lockdown. Uh, it was an idea that we had. Uh, we were working with one of our biggest funders, uh, a big financial institution. And we were about to de- roll out this delivery um, in schools and then COVID came. And then I was like, right, what are we going to do? You know, we never embraced technology in terms of working with young people because I worked about face-to-face contact, you know, with young people. So we had to incorporate Zoom. And then I felt my age at the time when I had to use Zoom, I was like, what is this? You know, how are we going to engage young people And we use Zoom to run the Raising Aspirations project, which was actually creating a visible and viable pathway for young people into this financial institution, but also understanding the journeys of people that look like them from that institution and having that dialogue and that access. Um, And it allowed those young people to dream, even though they were in lockdown and are really struggling. We We engaged nearly 125 young people across two iterations of that in 2020. And that was a precursor to us being funded by our biggest funder at um currently um so it's important to to showcase progression for young people and that they can get into rooms and spaces that they wouldn't even dream of you know and even for me working with this institution has been a great journey i've been outside my comfort zone so yeah it's been a a really good project out of that we've got three young people have got their own business now um one is a photographer and she's doing a lot of work for really prominent brands and really really proud of her so we gave them hope in that moment but they also gave us hope because they turned up every single day we had a young man on the call that we didn't realize who was in lagos he's in nigeria and it was only until the last day in the celebration event when we ordered pizzas we said oh everybody send your addresses and he said oh i'm in lagos and everybody laughed like all oh, right whatever <laughs> mate And he said no i'm serious look i'm in nigeria was that no way so we were reaching young people that weren't even in the country at that time and that's the power of technology brilliant. so the raising aspirations project was a real real success so brilliant yeah.
0: and what a powerful story and a journey that you've been on um i want to talk more about starting businesses mm. your journey as a founder um running a business is tough <laughs> It is stupid.
1: <laughs> Why don't you just get a job? Oh, it bro. is tough. It's like jumping out of a plane with no parachute. That's absolutely, what it's like.
0: absolutely. And you know, I think there's a there's a maybe more of a glamour we put in our kind of hustle culture around yeah. you know starting a business, living yeah. life on Great. your own terms. Yeah. But they're not talking about the spreadsheets on
1: not, a Sunday <laughs> night. <laughs> not,
0: not talking about going from a nine to five, you anything stressful, to going to a ten nine to, to nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) um and you've managed to build um an incredible network and as i've mentioned kind of work with some of the the biggest institutions in the world to deliver what you do so talk us through your own experiences
1: running a business
0: and you know kind of what the what the kind of biggest challenges have been in terms of starting rentivity
1: oh gosh um i've always been a very entrepreneurial mind um even from school and always knew how to make money I was always had innovative ways to make money. Uh, I remember buying, going to a bakery that had these sherbet straws. I remember. Yeah, they were like 1p. <laughs> so I used to get five pounds, buy five pounds. Showing your age. I know, P. right?
0: It's <laughs> <Inflation laughs> probably about by a pound now. now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. But I used to go to this bakery before everybody else, early um, before school, and I spent five pounds, and then I would sell them in school for two pence so I would double my money pretty much every day but what i did because after lunch i knew that people needed the sugar boost so they went out to three pence so it was a premium so i was making between 10 and 15 pounds a day at school just doing that so i've always known how to make money i've always been as a young man i was obsessed by money i'm not obsessed by money now but with mentivity, i had no clue what i was doing at all i just literally as I said, it was like jumping out of a plane without a parachute and having to build that parachute before I hit the ground. And there were certain times I felt like I was close to, to crashing, you know, and, and burning. But I just had that faith um, and just was really unwavering in my approach in terms of, right, this has got to work. Like this, There's no other option. So I founded Mentivity as a limited company uh, because I didn't want to be a charity. I worked, to, uh, worked for a charity for nine years before that. And what I realized after I worked full-time for about 12 months there, was that they were making money off our plight. You know, all oh, these young people are underserved and disadvantaged and they need this. So they're getting this money, this money in, but then they were taking a lot of money for themselves and it actually wasn't reaching the people that it should. So I, I didn't want people to look down on Mentivity as a charitable case. I wanted to showcase self-determination and innovation and I wanted people to take us seriously. So we set up as a limited company initially, um, and we ran that until uh, Raheem passed away, then we set up the, the CIC. Um, so we have a CIC limited by shares, but I didn't understand that it shouldn't have been by shares, it should have been by guarantee. So I had to set up a uh, CIC limited by guarantee down the line, which allowed us to get the, the funding from uh, the corporate sector. So the reason why we have the free entities is because of sustainability. Um, the limited company generates income through contracts from local authorities and schools. Local authorities only like to deal with limited companies and tender their services. So we work with youth offending services and local schools as well, where they all pay for our services. And what you find is that the people that pay for our services value it more um, and we have more of an impact. So that allows us to generate income. The, the CICs allow us to get funding. And a lot of organisations and charities has taken on funding as just that's it that's our only stream of income and then what happens is when that funding dries up they disappear and i don't want mentality to disappear ever so the limited companies at some at times will prop up the crc and the crc might probably the limit company so it's very fluid in that way so and as i said we're very innovative in terms of our approach and what we're doing with some of the, these corporate brands and we're about to announce a, a partnership with spotify in the coming uh, weeks which i'm very very proud of um, and that's going to be probably our biggest biggest contract um, to date so there's going to be a lot going on with that Um, and looking forward to our partnership flourishing with Spotify but people believe in what we're doing you understand that it's about young people and supporting the community and they want to be part of that because this is groundbreaking you know this isn't something that you see every day and working in the charitable sector for so long I became disillusioned and I realized that we have to think more business minded when it comes to creating initiatives in our communities and that's why mentality is the way that is
0: let's talk about partnerships Uh, so one thing that a lot of organizations do struggle with is um, being able to build a brand that is attractive to potential partners like your spotify's of this world corporates your local authorities and to build the kind of business model and show the um, operational um, the operational rigor mm. that these companies are looking for. Yeah, yeah. So how have you built Mentivity in a way that um, is attractive to these partners? And how do you go about building these partnerships?
1: You know what? It's been interesting. I always have always had had the gift of the gap, you know, in terms of talking to people. <laughs> and, and I know, you know, like I know my stuff. And I, if I don't, I will learn. And but I'm, I'm a people person and I would describe myself as a servant leader. And I think people see that, you know, this is not about me it's not about my ego it's not about what i can do because if i if, if i make it by myself that's great but who am i bringing but you know through after me and that's the most important thing so i think people see that and they they see that we're an organisation with integrity with honesty but we're really passionate about what we're doing um because people really understand that we are here for the people and we we've got a lot of people trying to support us you know subic council believe in what we're doing growing up in subic in the london borough of subic on the osbury estate was important for me and subic In the last couple of years have been providing that support so much so that we've got a new community centre opening hopefully by June we've been waiting for about 18 months because of COVID but we've got a new community centre and that's going to be the first Mentivity community hub so that partnership with Soviet Council is just a match made in heaven. I used to walk down this road every day to go to school, and now I'm going to have my own building um, that's going to be for mentivity and providing the services for not only young people, but the wider community. So partnerships are important. Uh, you know, We've got to understand and be more empathetic to what's going on in the world. Without empathy, we can't make the change, because you need to understand what's going on in other people's lives and put yourself in their shoes. And once you're able to do that, you can see that you are privileged and, Whatever way. Uh, and I feel like I'm very fortunate and very privileged to be doing what I'm doing. I don't take it for granted, but I understand that this is far bigger than me. You know, this is God's work, you know, for me. So I'm gonna continue doing this to the day that I, I die, you know, and, and bring it to the world.
0: I wanted to pick up on what you said about having the gift of the gap. <laughs> <laughs> because it's more than that. Yeah. I've I've known about your work for a while now and I've met you now, and it's it's more than that. Mm i was speaking um i was speaking recently about personal branding and the importance of personal branding as a leader generally but also as a leader in the kind of spaces that we're in and you've mentioned that kind of servant leadership Mm -hmm. that you have and being very people-centered in what you do but you are not only people-centered you are able to You were able to have that empathy Mm. with different audiences, you know, you know, from, it could be speaking to uh, a senior person within a corporate one day and speaking to a 15 year old Mm. in Peckham another day and being able to identify with the needs and priorities of both. There's also being the kind of strong operator that is able to effectively build a team to structure a business model, Mm. to structure governance in a way that allows you to deliver the kind of work that you do and to do all of that with all of the complexities and the challenges and the craziness (laughs) that is running a business you've built an incredibly strong personal brand over the years you also recently won inspirational person of the year at yeah. the mbcc awards yeah. i have to I have to mention that <laughs> oh thank you yeah. i have to mention that you know they, they recognize the work that you've been doing so tell us how you would define your own personal brand
1: cool I, authentic uh for sure I, you i am what you see and i will say what i feel um because it's important and i think everybody knows where they stand with me um, as I said, I, do, I don't do things by halves. So if I if I like you and I love you, you're gonna know. If I don't, then you're also gonna know. But there's also room for self development in all of that because I think in terms of my personal brand, without doing the work on myself, then I wouldn't be who I am today and what people see. You know, you know, if they're looking from the outside, I had to do a lot of internal work. And as I said, the therapy was important with Raheem um, being taken away so prematurely. I was very frustrated but i realized there was a lot of work i had to do on myself to be able to do more for others and give more to others so therapy for me as a, as a black man as a black caribbean man that was taboo you know talking about your feelings and emotions and i'm highly emotional highly sensitive so i've had to suppress it for many years in this field of work i can't be there you know and i've got to showcase to young men as well that you've got to be in tune with your emotions you know my son is 16 and from a young age I've always told him to be in tune with his emotions don't hide how you feel you can never be wrong for how you feel so and that's important for me because I used to feel wrong for how I was feeling in certain situations but those are your emotions you must embrace them so building the brand is and my own personal brand has just been organic to be honest and as I said authentic because I don't have anyone doing my PR. I don't have anyone doing, you know, anything. I've just done it pretty much myself. I've had a little bit of support in 2020, but other than that, I've just done it myself. And I know I'm at the the time now where I've got to branch out and and do that, but I just want to work on my terms.
0: I'm trying to be cool, (laughs) calm and collected. I'm, I'm trying, but I'm... I'm pretty in awe of you. Oh, I
1: appreciate it.
0: And I, and I don't say that to flatter you at all. I, I, I say that from a genuine sense of admiration. Um, admiration that you've managed to turn your passion into, um, turn, turn your, your pain mm. into passion and then turn your passion into impact. Mm. And to do that with those core mm. principles of authenticity to who you are mm. and not negotiating on that and also integrity in everything that you do. And it's a very, very, it's a, it's a, it's just such a, a brilliant thing to be able to stay relevant and interested and empathetic to the challenges that the people who come through and need your services have. Yeah. Um, and to also be thinking about how you can, change the institutions around you by sharing that knowledge with with industry there's just so much going on there so (laughs) i I have to say i'm
1: i'm
0: i'm so impressed and i i kind of just want to just give you everything (laughs) to to carry on doing this amazing work but the flip side of it Mm -hmm. so you are someone who gives Mm -hmm. so much of yourself Mm -hmm. literally pours so much of yourself out into the work that you do yeah It can take a toll on mental health. It can take a toll on well-being. It can take a toll on your ability to maybe give to your family sometimes and to to really be present for Mm. your loved ones when you are just working to create change in so many ways. Mm. How do you manage your mental health and well-being?
1: Well, I've spoken about therapy, but also even though people will see me as an extrovert and they've seen me in my whole life as an extrovert. I think as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more of an introvert because I'm starting to recover at home. I love being at home. Uh, I've, I've just got engaged in December last Congrats. year. Oh, thank you so much. This is an amazing woman changed my life. Um, and I think the balance is important because as you said, we can give so much to the point where we burn out. And I actually burned out in 2019 and I was probably at my lowest level um, ever. Because I was giving so much to people that weren't given enough to me, but also I wasn't paying attention to the things that I needed to work on. And hence why I went to therapy. So for me, it's about holidays. I love holidays. I love traveling. You know, we were speaking about Ghana and, and the motherland that I'm in, in love with Africa. Um, Kenya, I'm planning to move there, you know, within the next two years because I love being there. I just feel complete when I'm there. Um, we got engaged in, in Zanzibar. So I have a real you know, close affinity with the motherland because there's so much to learn and so much opportunity out there as well. And just being around my people, even though I'm from Barbados and Jamaica, I'm African, you know, so that's my heritage. I want to get closer to that. And by getting closer to that, I feel we're getting closer to ourselves. Um So it's about balance, you know. Um, I'm an avid, Football fan. I love football. Without football, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today because that's what led me to working with young people through coaching. I've been coaching young people for 24 years. You know, I run the London Youth Games team for Southwark for five years, and during that time helped to produce Jaden Sancho of Manchester United, Reese Nelson of Arsenal, Tammy Abraham of Roma, Adam Ola Lookman of Atalanta, and I can name another 30, 40 players that we supported to get to their dreams. So Football was how I recharge as well and, and thank God Arsenal are doing well at the moment so hopefully we win the league but um, you know football was giving me everything and I never forget that so I tried to recharge through that. My son is an avid football player as well trying to play professional. Uh, he's at an academy doing his, uh, his studies as well and hopefully god willing he gets the way he want to get to amazing but, yeah amazing yeah. There's,
0: there's there's a lot there to unpack and <laughs> every time someone brings a football reference i start to sweat like, <laughs> yes arsenal they, they won the match yes congrats win the, league, win the, league the red ones yeah. Yeah. 20 years, 20 years, so, yeah um but no i mean i can see the impact that um football has had um on your life and you know you, you've mentioned in the past that it was through kind of doing football and having the opportunities to coach young people that yeah. kind of led you into wanting to support young people in education your whole life so yeah. that's a big part for you and there's so much you said there and just picking up on your partner you know mentioning that you know she's been such a big part of your life i remember reading somewhere a while ago that um, if you're an entrepreneur, you only have two options when it comes to partners. You either marry someone who completely understands yeah. and empathizes with yeah. what <laughs> it is like to be married yeah. to an entrepreneur, or yeah. you don't get married at all. That's it. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> life pain for the faint No, it's not. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been married for five years now and yeah, I have, my. um, a husband who has the, the, the patience of a saint, yeah. um. And he is a easy teacher. He teaches five-year-olds. And I think that's Special why man. he has <laughs> that's why he can manage yeah, me because, yeah. <laughs> he, because he has patience for five-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's so much going on in that. And so family becomes so important, partners become so important. Um, in all of that. You know, you've mentioned taking that time out to, to relax and recharge and all of that kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to your future aspirations, because I absolutely know that it doesn't stop with Mentivity. You've, you've been doing so <laughs> Who <many>. told you? <laughs> but I know just just based on everything I've heard about you so far that there's so much more coming from you and I, I'm genuinely authentically quite excited about what you do next but tell us about what that might look like.
1: Well it's taking Mentivity Global um, as I said we've done some work in Uganda and um, three years running I went to Kenya to do some work and just to do kind of a scouting mission really in terms of where Mentivity could fit in so Mentivity Africa will be definitely becoming and that's a, a real obsession for me uh, as I said I want to move to re- relocate to Kenya so I think bringing mentality to the motherland is important for me because Can
0: I just say for the record that and I've I've said it off yeah. off camera I I need you to move to Ghana um, because Let's go. that's where
1: it's at <laughs> we'll, do ne- we'll do the next podcast in Ghana <laughs> No
0: offense to my Kenyan brothers and sisters but Ghana is really where it's at so I, I, feel... I just had to plug it Yeah
1: yeah before you No listen yeah. I I feel that my lineage is Ghanaian anyway uh, with a, a little bit of East African because I could understand a bit of Swahili when I was there, and I was like, How can I can understand this. So, deep down, I think it's there, but Ghana, there is a very So, close
0: let's to... think about this strategy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I do. I need to visit Ghana. I've really got a close affinity with, with a lot of Ghanaians, a lot of very close friends, but I know that Jamaicans and Bayesians, they're pretty much Ghanaian. So, I need to get out there. And I know when I get there, I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to want to live here as well. So we've got to make that happen. So, yeah, Mentivity Africa for sure. I want to coach at a high level. Um, You know, I've been a coach in the grassroots elite level for a long time. But I want to coach my national team. So for Barbados, i want to coach them at some point. Um, I want to do other things, you know. I want to become a yogi. I want to do – because I love yoga. So that's keeping me – keeping me young
0: and you know we've brushed on the fact that we need to support young people in monetizing their passions there's also something about creating the institutions that build wealth Mm. in our communities yeah yeah. what does that mean to you
1: it means everything because i think social mobility will lead to economic equity that we have to understand that our culture is infectious but also it's lucrative and far, for far too long, people have been making money off of our success, of our talent. And I think what you're seeing now, we used, our, our, our gaze was always towards America and the, their culture and what they're doing. But what we're seeing now is that Black British culture and heritage now is at the forefront of, you know, entertainment in terms of actors, in terms of music. The gaze is now on the UK. And now what's happening, because it's getting closer and closer to where? To the motherland. And you look at Afrobeats and the impact over the last 15 years for us, you know, and then Amapiano. And just seeing that African culture now side by side with Black British culture, but also Caribbean culture. People are now starting to understand that we're all one to some
0: degree. I'll never forget watching a video from Notting Hill Carnival mm. where Burner Boy Last Last was playing mm. and everyone and mm. when I when I say everyone, yeah, yeah. even <laughs> Ian and Linda were <laughs> singing along to that song. And it was so wonderful to yeah. see the 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 globalization yeah. of Afrobeats, the globalization of black culture and yeah. how, you know, through technology and through more content creators mm. actually self-publishing mm. rather than waiting to be found exactly. we're seeing that kind of you know the community become a lot closer yep. maybe some of those artificial divisions mm. that
1: that we had historically created yeah.
0: starting to dissolve a bit.
1: oh one thousand percent like when i was younger actually even affiliating yourself with africans as a caribbean it was like taboo like you didn't do it and even when my grand, you know god rest her soul she passed last year but I used to speak to her about, you know, I went to Kenya and she's like, Oh, you know, what are they like over there? And mm. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's amazing, Gran. Like one day hopefully we can go. And they'd be like, you know, because you're African too. No, oh, no, I'm not. I'm like, yes, Gran, you originate from Africa, we all do. And even her and that, that generation, they because of the the division that was created in terms of Africa and the Caribbean and, you know, black culture, like people were ashamed of their heritage. And you're not seeing that now. We're seeing people being being very proud of of African culture. And it's not black culture, it's African culture. You know, this is African music. This is mm. all stemmed from the motherland. But in the diaspora now has honed it in different ways based on their different cultures. So I think commodification is important. You know, like going back to the Sunday league and, and football and content creation, all that stuff, you know, Mandem them on the wall with Percy and Javan. You know, Javan's doing great things in the United States. Percy had a breakout. Role in his film last year on Netflix, which was number one. Incredible Listen, to
0: see that. Oh man! I, I literally got goosebumps as you said that because I do remember watching that. Yeah, one. yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. Super, seeing that them on 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 that Netflix show, I just thought, yeah, it, it, it felt like my win.
1: Yeah. Exactly that, exactly that. And Percy and Joanna are just very clean-hearted, amazing people. And I'm proud to be working with them and, and what they built and trying to enhance their, their, their brand through the, the World FC. You know, so I think it's important that we can modify what we're actually producing. You know?
0: let's, let's talk about community for a second because mm-hmm. I think there's something really magic that I see where it doesn't matter where I go people can see me and what i'm doing and you know i was in birmingham last week and someone came up to me and said you know izzy we see what you're doing we're here we're supporting you Mm. and it, it it really just hits different when you hear that from your community and you can kind of just see that journey you've you have a lot of people around you all the time who are watching what you do and you're also pouring into others who are building in this space you know what does the community mean to you, and also how how do we elevate it because and I say that because I think sometimes we have the challenge of a lot of people perhaps feeling like they're fighting over. The same resources yes, yes. or have challenges breaking through mm. or maybe feel like there are there are gatekeepers yeah. and there are kind of different challenges when it comes to building and unifying community yeah. but what's been your experience of building a community around you
1: it's been beautiful i'll be honest with you I, I love the community and i don't just restrict it to the black african caribbean communities it's about london being a melting pot of culture you know and i, I love living in London because of that and community means everything to me because without the community I can't do the things that I'm doing Um, and I think it's important to to showcase that we can come together for collective goals Um, I think we need to understand with all these organizations and people we need some sort of advisory board in terms of the direction that we're going and if everyone is working towards this this goal everybody has to play their part and I think once everyone can has a has their part to play and they identify themselves with this this movement then everyone's going to feel valued and if everyone feels valued and motivated then we're going to see the changes that we haven't seen in our societies that we do want to see uh, i feel like after covid a lot of young people didn't see a future and i'm really struggling with that and i think that we're not really seeing we're not going to see the fallout of, and the effects of covid probably for the next we'll Next two years, I've seen you know, I think we'll really peak in terms of mental health and in terms of young people really struggling because they feel isolated. So, I think we really need to understand that we've all got to do the individual work on ourselves, which is important to prepare ourselves to be part of a, a greater entity. And once we understand where we're going and we can move towards that, um, I feel that we will liberate ourselves from a lot of the oppression that we're facing uh, after the killing of George Floyd. Mm. There was an outpouring of grief and empathy not just from the African diaspora. It was from people that hadn't seen what we've been experiencing every single day for our lives, you know, for hundreds of years. When people talk about racism, like, oh, that doesn't still happen. You know, 70s, 80s, I'm like, no, I'm telling you what's happened now and you're actually telling me that this doesn't happen. That's where, you know, we struggle because there's a lack of empathy. So I think now because of COVID, there was a a collective outpouring of empathy for people from different backgrounds because they realize wow this is what you're actually going through
0: and one of the most powerful things i found since the george floyd moment was the the fact that beforehand, I think a lot of people would say that, you know, you'd say something and you oh it's anecdotal, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the data to support that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, institutions, government, they work on data. Yeah. If there is not data, they are not Im- interested That's in it. it. Yeah. And so we've had this preponderance of reports mm-hmm. and, oh. you know, different, <laughs> different um, pieces of writing and projects that have like added data to yeah. the, the issues that we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah for time (laughs) (laughs) and and i think it's open new conversations that didn't exist before and so you know one thing i love about this conversation is that we've touched on a lot of different elements of business modeling you know you've built a really clear value proposition you've got clear target audiences in terms of the the institutions and the businesses that you work with you've touched on leadership and having the right style of leadership you've touched on your personal brand Mm. you've touched on governance and setting up the right company structure uh you've touched on you know building a strategy and having that ambition for where the business is going to grow Mm. it's really clear to see the direction that you're going into and how much thought has gone into everything that you've built so as we kind of wrap up i do want to ask you a question Mm. about the advice you'd give Mm. to perhaps a younger person, perhaps perhaps an earlier entrepreneur who's wanting to move Mm. into the space that you are in, working with corporates, working with institutions to drive change. Mm. What advice would you give
1: them? It's the same advice I gave to myself. And when I do talks uh, and I talk to young people, it's the same set of um, principles. You know, find your passion. Once you find your passion, dedicate yourself to it and persevere no matter what. So passion you know, dedication and perseverance. That's the key thing because once you find that passion, as I said before, you you come alive. You know, you start speaking about certain things that like, I'm passionate about young people. I'm passionate about football. Everything's intertwined and I've created a really good career and life for myself around that passion of football, which then my secondary passion was working with young people. So, yeah, if you find your passion, you know, you've got to focus on doing that, not a career. Because then you can find a career then linked to your passion. And then you're going to feel like you're not working you know i, I don't feel like i'm working a day in my life other than when i'm really tired but i feel privileged and i feel blessed to be able to get up and create something and a service for young people in the wider community and that i'm garnering support from other aspects and other people from my community that might not be from my background or culture because we're all being oppressed to some degree you know I, who we pay tax, you know, as, as business owners, you pay tax. we want to pay tax? We pay tax. <laughs> but we don't. Ugh. But that's oppression. Everybody's paying tax because yeah. we're being oppressed by it. So we've got to understand who we're up against and the systems that are in place and who it benefits. So I think for young people, you know, just be fearless. Always be receptive to learning. Um, be humble, you know, in situations until it gets to a point where you don't need to be humble. You know, and you can articulate and express yourself in, in rooms and spaces which you, you would never believe you'd be in. You know, if I told eight-year-old says that he would have the life that he's had, you know, I would have cried. I would have been like, no, like, this is not possible because everybody told me that I was going to amount to nothing, that I was going to be a drug dealer, that I was going to end up in prison, or I was going to die. You know, that's what people told me. And these were people that were, were, in education you know in society and they were supposed to be people that were uplifting me so you've got to have faith in yourself and you've got to believe in yourself when others don't because if you don't believe in yourself who else will you know so it's very very important that you do that.
0: Says, I want to thank you for everything you do in communities I want to thank you thank you genuinely for the impact that you continue to have I want to let you know that I'm rooting for you Founder Vines rooting for you Likewise. and I want to just keep amplifying everything that you're doing. Mm, So before we go, tell us where we can find you.
1: Well, you can find me on Instagram, at safehomeslewis, on Twitter, shomeslewis. Uh, You can also find me on TikTok. You know, all the young people are doing it now. I'm still young. I don't care if I'm (laughs) boy. So yeah, I'm on TikTok as well. Uh, You can find me at safehomeslewis.com and also at Mentivity.com. But also, before I go, I want to shout out my nephew, because his hat is his, Dream On Kid. You know, I'm supporting young people and what they're doing. It's important that we support young people's innovation and their ideas, and that they can do amazing things with our support. So, yeah, that's where you can find me
0: amazing and beautiful hat by the way where is it available to buy <laughs> uh,
1: dream on kid you go on instagram and dreamonkid.com. so yeah you can check it out
0: fantastic that was dream on kid <laughs> for everyone that didn't hear that thank you saves
1: thank you thank you
0: Thank you for watching and listening to the Immerse Catalyst series in partnership with Lloyds Bank. For more like this, subscribe to our series wherever you are listening. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at www.foundervine.com.